whole package deal of the quote unquote desensitizing with the focus work with the connection work um, and tying that all together to help your horse be emotionally balanced because what you can create with forcing a horse to go and put their nose on something or forcing them to wear it is again that shutdown or that distrust of their human that disconnection welcome to the horsewoman project a podcast where we talk about all things horsewoman from relationships to truck issues taking care of your nutrition and fitness, and of course, horses. So, Michaela, as we've been talking about emotional control, it's been a little bit of an emotional week for me. It was my mom's birthday, which my mom passed away in 2018, and she would have been 64 last week. So, yeah, I've been putting into practice all the things we're talking about, at least trying to anyway. So yeah, it's a good time to talk about it. Right. Always talk about and teach what you need, right? It's true. Or what's coming up in the moment for sure. Cause uh, dates are hard, you know, anniversaries are hard. Anniversaries like that are so hard and you don't really understand how hard they are until you have them. Yeah. And it just it brings up a lot yeah and it's it's crazy to me how sometimes because there's there's three big ones that kind of get me which are her birthday her death day and mother's day and then christmas is a pretty big one too because she was a christmas fanatic um but it's it's interesting because not every single date every single year really gets to me there's some of them that pass and and it's more just the the fond memories and things and it it doesn't feel as difficult to deal with and then some of those dates they come and it's just like oh it's just this heavy like man there's just a lot to to process and go through and i think it probably has to do with what other things and stressors are happening in your life when those dates come around um but yeah this one was definitely a harder one for me just a lot of a lot of feelings a lot of things to process and yeah, it is not easy to lose a loved one. So no, no, it's not. And yeah, I agree that it has a lot to do with what's going on in your life. And especially when that person was a source for you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're going through things that that person would normally be a source for you, I think it's 10 times harder, especially on those anniversary dates, right? Like so much harder. There are some anniversary dates I'll have too where man, I'm just emotional. And I like, but I don't recognize that. Oh my gosh, it's an anniversary date until later Mm -hmm. when I'm like, what is going on today? (laughs) You know, like, how come I can't handle life? (laughs) And then I realize it's like, oh, oh, that that's why, you know, sometimes it just comes up and hits you in the face, you know? Well, and I do think our bodies carry that like emotional memory. Oh yeah. Regardless of if our conscious brain realizes what the day is, our bodies and our spirit and our mind carries that, that emotional memory, you know? So it's crazy how it just comes up. No, for sure. For me, um, winters are always really, really hard because for a long time, there's probably about six years where Octobers were hell, (laughs) like for everyone (laughs) in my family, where we went, I'm, I'm thinking it's like six years 
where we had big like emergencies in October where someone was in the hospital for something huge um and it got to where like everyone in my family like my brothers and my parents and I were just kind of like okay October's here how's everyone feeling we all okay okay it's October like and just like check in because because you do like your body just gets that tense feeling of like oh my gosh okay here's another one you know what's gonna happen and it can with winters here too with how cooped up we are and we don't see the sun then we have you know your your body memory and your emotional memory of how hard octobers normally are how hard winters normally are for us it adds like 10 times more issues to the winter and, and stress as well that i'm having to really process and realize because for the longest time I didn't really like set back and think about that. Um, and then the last couple of winters, I'm like, why am I having such a hard time in the winter? But then it's like sitting back and realizing, oh, one, the place that I live in is very triggering. The winter itself is triggering, but then also just the time of year is always hard. No matter where we're at, it's always hard. Um, and being able to recognize that and be like, okay, like I understand that. I recognize it. I feel it. And, and that helps move forward a little bit when you recognize it, or at least helps you realize that I need to listen to my body and slow down too sometimes and, yeah. and allow my body to, to rest and just fill and, and do its thing. For sure. Going into like the cold, right. And how the cold of winter is hard. It makes me think of like those ice baths. Right. And one of the first things that kind of got me into that a little bit was like reframing your thoughts around cold, which is very hard for me to do. I hate the cold. <laughs> I hate the cold. Um, and which a lot of people do. Um, but thinking about just reframing what is cold because horses, animals, like dogs, everything, granted, they do have a fur coat. They're designed to be outside, but they don't have a feeling about the cold it just is what it is you know they don't know that they can come inside and and turn and the central air on and get away from it they just oh you know it's cold I, I'm gonna deal with it and it's it's not something that they have an emotion about it just is mm -hmm. right it's like that neutral thing we talked about in the last episode they're just kind of neutral about whatever the weather is yeah. um and so I think sometimes creating a reframe too of like what is cold it's just cold so how do you make yourself comfortable in it you can either like like me this year I bought myself a heated vest um so that that way when I'm outside I can be a little bit less bulky on the days that it's cold and then I can wear that instead of a coat or on the days when it's really cold I wear it underneath my coat um, and it just makes the weather that much more bearable so I don't feel so blah about it but also for a while I did ice baths I shouldn't say ice I did cold baths <laughs> um we put a little bit of ice in it we never got it down below about 62 or 63 I think is the coldest it went which was um about 67 I think is 66 or 67 is what my um just the coldest the tap water would go and that's what I started with and then it went down a little bit from there and that was really an interesting experience for me. I'm not still doing them. Every once in a while, I'll do a cold shower just to remind myself that I can. <laughs> but
but it was interesting because the first time I took this ice bath, I got in and it literally took my breath away. Like it was like, oh, 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 and I could just feel this like panic set in right of like your body does panic. It's like, oh, get out of this. Mm-hmm, you know, this is, mm-hmm. this is cold. And, um, and being able to recognize that to be able to just, I'm choosing this, like, this is what I'm doing. I have full control over this. Um, and just being able to control my breathing and to control my mental state, like my shoulders went to my ears when I got in, like I was just so tense and so tight. And so after the first, gosh, probably 15 seconds, I started just coaching myself and being like, okay, oh, like lower your shoulders, slow your breathing and just coaching myself through it. And at the end of my, I started with a minute um, and I was able to get to two minutes Um, but at the end of my minute, I was shaking. Like I was, my body was just shivering and controlling yourself through that. Like shiver was just really interesting. And then within the next few baths, I was actually able to get it to where my body didn't shiver. Um, I would get in and my body would get accustomed to it a lot quicker. And, and yeah, it was just super interesting, but being able to like push myself through that, through something that it was like, Oh, I hate the cold. I hate the cold (laughs) and push myself through that and be able to coach myself through it and stay in a, a thoughtful, logical, responsive state of mind through it instead of just staying in panic the whole time. It was just really empowering. So it's definitely something I'm going to continue to revisit because it was really cool. But yeah, that every time I think about cold, like when I go outside and I'm like, Oh, it's cold. I'm always like, but what is the cold? It's just cold. Like, just breathe. It's fine. The philosopher comes out. <laughs> I know. I'm what is like, this thing? Fine. <laughs> I love that. As you're thinking so. about that, my body does the same thing when I'm hungry. If I'm being completely honest. <laughs> and I have to do like the same thought processes. Um, like when I was prepping for my photo shoot, what? Oh, it's almost been two years, Camry, since I've done that. Oh, has it really? Yeah, I guess so. Huh? Yeah. Well, no, no, no. No, it's been exactly a year, not two years. I was like, wait, two? My my timing is kind of muddled. (laughs) My husband always (laughs) makes fun of me for that um, and gets irritated with me for my timing. But no, it's been exactly a year. Um, But I have, I struggle being hungry. I struggle with emotional regulation when I'm hungry. I struggle with just everything when I'm hungry. And just having that sense of this is a choice. I can choose whether or not I'm going to eat because your body does go into that. We're in a famine. We need to eat everything. Like, oh my gosh, we're starving to death. Like your body goes into that same panic response and you do have to do that thought process of no, I'm choosing to do this. This is why I'm choosing to do this. And you really have to lean into that. It's, it's, it was a very powerful experience for me to uh, be dieting that heavily, that lean, um, cause it did the exact same thing your body did in the cold water, right. Where it's just, it's panicking. It, it was in full panic mode. And I had to really do a lot of work to be like, no, this is a choice. There is power in choice and in control. And if you can tell yourself and recognize that you have control over this. And I deal with this a lot on the opposite end too, with clients who tend to like, binge eat or, or have, uh, they feel like they are, they have no control over treats or things. We practice by giving them control over the treat. 
we practice, okay, I want you to have that treat every day. You're going to plan it out. Every day you're going to have like that brownie or every day you're going to have this. Because what that does is teaches your body that, oh, this thing is a forever thing for one. And it teaches you that you can have control because you planned it out. You were systematic about it. You were very um, intentional about it. And it's like your cold bath. You know, you were intentional about it. You didn't jump into negative 20 degree water. You, you jumped into 60 degree. You know, you were intentional about how much you actually could handle. And then just by talking yourself through those processes of, no, I, I've got control. I've got this. I've got this. I've got this is very powerful. Yeah, for sure. It's like one of your targets this year. Ownership. Yes. Own it. Yes. Girl, I've already been kicking myself for that target. <laughs> I know you've gotten a few texts. I'm like, I know I should own this, but I don't want to own this. <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> Lots of gifs. <laughs> oh, you call them gifs. I call them gifs. I don't uh, even know which one is right. <laughs> I don't either. I call them gifs. She calls them gifs. Guys, let us know which one do you call them. <laughs> Well, and I always send you the hangry ones because I know how much you like food. Oh, <laughs> like, my gosh. this is you. <laughs> <laughs> like that one you sent me the other day. I do not get, what is it? I cannot get nutrition from a lettuce leaf. I eat food. <laughs> I put that audio on the background of Lola standing at her stall gate banging on the gate wanting food because she does that every time you walk past her stall she's like I need food oh I love it yep yep she's she's my girl right there I feel her well and that I mean just knowing like you knowing how much I love food can you believe that I did that photo shoot <laughs> you know, like how much freaking control that took for me to do that and to to just be intentional about that because I do I love food and I honestly I think a lot of that comes from growing up and not being able to eat like I wanted to um because I had so many allergies and insensitivities and my body wasn't reacting well that I was put into a state at such a young age of I couldn't eat anything that my friends ate and food was a big part of my life and people would almost abuse me around my food, right? Where I would have mm -hmm. kids in my class stick things in my lunch. If I was eating something, they'd put something in there that could cause a reaction just because that's how they were. So like for me, I'm like, there, as I recognize that, I'm like, okay, there's actually probably a lot of trauma around food. And that's probably why I react the way I do, where food is a big deal to me. And especially because of those experiences, it's a really um, big indicator to me, like how much you care. Like if you're willing to go out of your way, you don't have to go out of your way, but if you're willing to, that shows to me, I'm like, wow, this person cares about me because I didn't get that a lot growing up. Mm -hmm. I got a lot of shaming because of how I needed to eat for my health um, because food was killing me, you know? And it, it's yeah. interesting what people can do, but I, I, had, crazy. I had that, right? Right? People Kids are, are mean. Sometimes. <laughs> Oh, I don't mind if my kids are troublemakers, but there's troublemaking and then there's just being a jerk. Yeah. And I've tried to like, I really hope I instill that in my kids. Like it's like the people that drive down my road, which it's a pretty slow road. The one, the one side is not the one side is a highway, but then the other side is just, um, it's 
partially a dirt road. It turns from asphalt into dirt partway down the road, just a few houses down from me. But I used to take horses out there, like I would ride colts out there for a, essentially like a mini trail ride. I won't ride colts out there anymore because there are these young kids that get on their ATVs or their razors or their dirt bikes. And then not only do they not slow down and move over, they will veer closer and speed up. And they did that to me on a horse once. And luckily it was my mare that was handled it the best she could. I mean, understandably, she was upset. She thought a vehicle was coming at us and she's, it was Freya. She spun in a circle and, and ran maybe 20 feet. Um, and, and then, you know, calmed down and was good, but it just, when you could cost someone their life or cost someone pain, like in your situation of them putting food in there that could make you very sick, that's not just troublemaking, like go egg somebody's house. Like, like what happened to that? Like, <laughs> stop trying to kill people. I know. Like, don't do that. Be well, don't egg people's but... house either. He's not giving you permission. <laughs> I just can't believe no, it. Seriously. There, you know, there's 90% of the people that go down this road are very considerate. They slow down, they move over. Um, they don't honk at me. They don't like do things like that because they, they know. Smart. And uh, yeah, and they, they're considerate and they're human beings that most human beings are good people, nice people. Um, and I think it's just kind of sad to see some of the young people this day and age not realize that, you know, if my horse had thrown me off on the asphalt and I landed on my head because yeah. you decided to veer your vehicle right up next to my horse and spook it. I mean, like, That's Freya's manslaughter. pretty well, yeah. You know, like, if you died, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, this is serious and they just think yeah. it's so funny. Let's make her horse buck. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah kids today <laughs> well I don't even think it's kids today I think it's just kids in general but it's just interesting to see that lack of consequences it's like the kids who put food you know foods that I could react to in my food one there was there was that level of they just didn't believe it was a real thing I got that a lot from adults and kids oh it's not a real thing you're not really allergic to that food and for them to like knowingly put me in potential danger just because they're ignorant was really hard. But in that situation too, like, I just don't think, and I don't know, maybe we should get like a neurologist on here and talk to them about this. But it's like, I wonder <laughs> if, um, if that ability to think about consequences just isn't there, you know, because yeah. they're not thinking, oh, let's kill Camry or let's kill this gal on this horse. They're thinking, oh, it would be so funny if she got bucked off. Ha 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 ha. They don't think about, oh, but what if she broke her leg? oh, what if she got knocked out and got a concussion? Oh, what if she mm -hmm. died? You know, like they don't think about that. Yeah, um, those judgment centers are just not fully developed yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the reaction is just, I don't know. Well, and it's even worse here too, because there's 10-year-olds and 12-year-olds driving their ATVs on the road. So it's like if they were actually the 16-year-olds that, you know, their, their judgment centers are slightly more developed, um, but it's typically those younger, you know, those like 12, 13 year old kids that it's like, you shouldn't even be on the road. Like I should call the cops on you. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. you're allowed to drive an ATV on dirt roads when you're younger. Even then I don't think you're supposed to, if you're younger than 16, but no, you're not, you're not supposed to, but 
I mean, we get that all the time here. Like we have kids yeah. that <laughs> there was one time I was walking down the road and there's this kid driving. I was like, looking. I'm like, oh, that kid's 10. And he's driving a full-on <laughs> car down the road, you know, it's like, yeah. but that's just part of living in rural areas as well. Um, but it is something to really think about too, as a parent, like that I think about where I'm like, wow, could I allow my kid to do that? I mean, my parents let me drive, but again, on the back roads and stuff, which is what this kid was doing. Cause we were technically the back road, but it is interesting to really think about that and think, Hmm, you know, but one thing goes wrong and it's not good. Yeah. So speaking of horses speaking, <laughs> I know, like, so how do we tie this into our actual topic? <laughs> um, so that's spooking, right? That's emotional control, right? Mm-hmm. Horses being able to control when they feel those things, they're like, Bleh. so I think the first thing that pretty much everyone is going to tell you when you talk about getting your horse to control themselves is, oh, you need to do more desensitizing desensitizing has is over the past few years is becoming a word that I really don't like I use it mainly because most horse people understand what it is and they know that that means like getting your horse to be okay with obstacles and scary things right Um, but I really don't like what the overall idea of what it gets people to do with their horse because most people when they do desensitizing with their horses they're actually teaching their horse to shut down they're not actually teaching the emotional control right and so we talked about shutdown as like when your body just like everything shuts off and you just like get in this freeze mode so that you can handle this huge amount of stress that's being put on you um, because your body feels like it can't handle it anymore and so what we do, what a lot of people will do with desensitizing is they will, and this is what I used to do too. Um, they will take the flag, the scary thing, the tarp, um, and wave it around their horse until their horse's feet stand still. And then they release the tarp, right? And the problem with that is, is kind of like how I mentioned at the beginning of our last episode, there are different versions of standing still. (laughs) Standing still does not mean you have a calm horse or a emotionally balanced horse (laughs) or mentally with Uh, it horse. (laughs) Yeah. A a, a with it horse. Um, Because when you flood a horse like that with this stimulus and they cannot escape it. So you take away the flight, then they have the other two options of freeze or fight so sometimes horses like that will kick at you they will fight you tooth and nail to get away from this scary thing and if you are pushing a horse that far man you deserve to get kicked (laughs) like (laughs) okay maybe maybe let me not say it that way well let's let's just talk about how how Cammy really feels about this (laughs) right like that that is that's you putting yourself in danger because if you know anything about how those states work fight flight and freeze you know some horses are going to go into that freeze state and they're just gonna okay if I stand still it'll go away but here's the problem with that freeze state their feet are standing still their body is still but their brain is going oh shit I need to escape this like this thing is trauma this is bad I have this mountain lion on me but if I just hold still long enough it'll go away yeah And really quick with the freeze, just to kind of put it in 
maybe another visualization that people can, can really recognize, but mm -hmm. you think horses are prey animals, right? Sometimes we forget that. I feel like we forget that horses are on the bottom of the food chain. <laughs> um, but if you think about a deer, right? So the, this is how the freeze response works in nature. If a deer is getting attacked by a mountain lion, right? Once it hits that point where it's like, okay, hey, there's no possible way I can get away. That's when freeze kicks in because it's going to shut down. It's going to help block some of the pain receptors. But what that's also going to allow it to do is, okay, like I'm going to play dead pretty much. And then if that mountain lion gets distracted or let's say needs to chase off a coyote from coming in to also prey on the deer, that gives that deer another chance at flight. So the moment that that deer gets a chance, it's going to get up and take off, right? Horses, it's going to be the same exact thing. They are deer. They are prey animals. So when they are in that state, it's like, yes, they're in that state. They're playing dead but they're waiting for any chance that they can to get away or to fight back and so the moment that you they you get that chance or they get that chance they're going to take it because that's that's their nature that's who they are they're trying to get away from danger and you put them in a situation that they feel like they're in that much danger yeah absolutely and i like that visual of you know comparing it to that deer in that situation and um, that's that's helpful so to help in situations like that so our horses don't just learn to freeze constantly <laughs> is uh familiarizing is what i like to call it but most people are like huh what <laughs> so that's why i do still use the term desensitizing um but then i go deeper into it so with familiarizing it's it has to do with getting a horse familiar with the things that are scary to them and getting them to where you know if my body language is you know, I've got a leg cocked and I'm just kind of standing there relaxed and I'm waving a flag. That horse should stand calmly and really think nothing of that flag because my energy is relaxed. You know, nothing's happening. I'm not directing energy at them with this flag. Right. Um, but then I also want to be able to take that same flag, pick up my energy, ask the horse to move, direct that flag and that energy at that horse and have that horse be able to move off from it in a way where they're not scared of it and reacting and just like oh my gosh the flag is coming towards me you know I'm talking about just hey you know I want you to walk and and direct that energy at them have them walk or trot or lope um so that to me is a proper way to quote unquote desensitize a horse uh, you need a horse that is able to stand still with unknown objects and move with unknown objects right um, and so having both of those is the golden ticket of desensitizing and having a well-balanced horse uh, to be able to do both so that's that's kind of my take on desensitizing <laughs> anything well, to add Michaela yeah so because with that um I feel like with familiarizing using that that terminology terminology also comes respect um because I can think of a horse that I worked with with you where I mean he was just concerned about every little thing right and <laughs> just taking a step back and recognizing and saying oh I hear you and instead of flooding his responses with no I'm forcing you to do this and you need to just do it just by taking a step back and going oh I hear you I'm gonna I'm gonna take back the energy and how can I work through this with you right so taking and realizing like you need to be part of the process with them how can you listen to them yes at the end of the day the horse needs to be okay with these stimulus right but 
it's okay to just take a step back, say, yes, I hear you. I see you. Okay. Instead of, instead of touching you with this flag, I'm going to put myself between you and the flag, right? That's, that's one of the exercises you taught me is have the horse behind you walking. You're walking in front of it. You've got the flag in front of you and you can just kind of wave it in just like a nonchalant way in front of you. So then they can see what's going on. They see that you're not really like you're in between it. So it's going to get you before it's going to get them. <laughs> so it puts them in a little bit of a safer situation there. Um, but just by taking that and learning, learning those kind of things, because I was big into the desensitizing as well. Um, I mean, that that's a big thing, like, especially with like the Clint Anderson group. And I was really into his kind of stuff where, you know, the feet is all all that we care about in in that technique and that style. Um, but realizing, you know, yeah, I, I've got the feet under control, but the brain is gone. And I really started to dig into into more your style of training on like the Warwick Schiller and and that kind of style when I noticed some of the more advanced horses I'd work with who, yeah, they did their job. But their brains, like you looked at their eyes and their eyes are glass, like they had nothing left in their brain. You could just tell, like, I mean, they were just reacting. So yes, they were doing the thing, but they were reacting. And so when things would come up, um, there was this horse that we were working on, like a raining pattern or something with them. And he just kind of kept coming up with the same pattern of like dropping a shoulder or not being able to slow down. He would just go at one speed. And as we worked on that, we just realized, you know what, he's completely shut off. His brain is not there. He is doing his job and he's doing it the way that he thinks he needs to do it for the least amount of pain, right? And by taking him out of that situation and starting to do different stimulus, like taking him out of the raining pattern, and we started doing like some pole work to get his brain awake and be like, oh, what, the, what is this? You know, like, I kind of have to be awake for this. We would introduce um, balls and, and just games and try to get him to play with things because this was a horse that never got to play. He was fraturityed. He just never got to be a cult. Um, and just realizing, you know, he had spent most of his life and most of his training life being ignored and having to be in freeze. And that turned into a horse that, yes, he was the most talented horse I've, I've met in a long time, but he shut down so much that he couldn't quite perform to the level that they wanted him to, because he was just going with the motion. Right. And we get into that, that state sometimes ourselves where we are so shut down, we just go with the motion and we, you know, we don't have joy in our job. We, we don't really talk to people. We don't, we don't interact. We come home and we sit on our phones and we watch, watch TV instead of interacting and, and actually moving forward when we get home as well. And that's, that's kind of like what that horse was doing, right? He was, he was doing his job. He was going with the motions. He was doing ABC and then he was going home and he was checking out. Right. So yeah. When you're in shutdown, whether it's your horse or you, connection is impossible it's difficult for you to connect with someone when your emotions and that side of your being and of your of you of your energy is locked away and so if you really truly want you know your family your kids your spouse your horse to connect to you you have to be able to open up with those emotions and be able to process them and um or really you're just going through the motions of acting like you're connecting but truly 
energetically, emotionally, spiritually, you're really not connecting. You're just going through the motions of what connection looks like without the actual real connection there. So that's like, you know, connection is one of the big things I'm, I'm into right now. And um, it's, yeah, pulling, pulling these horses out of shutdown is, has been interesting because yeah, I did used to be that trainer that I desensitized until their feet stood still. And so going from that, from, you know, eight years ago, nine, eight, nine years ago, and, and shifting into where I am now has just been this huge different world and different way of (laughs) relating to horses. And, and, um, it makes me actually feel really bad about what I did because I'm like, I'm so sorry. I taught you to shut down. Like (laughs) I I didn't know better at the time. I'm so sorry. Um, Yeah. Well, it goes back to that. No better, do better. Like once you know better, you can do better, but don't, don't wallow in the fact that you didn't know, Yeah, (laughs) you know, cause I do that too, where I feel guilty. I'm like, Oh, I wish I could have done this. Like I've got some dogs that I used to have that I'm like, I could have done so much better for you. And, but I, I couldn't at that point that they were in my life, you know, and same with horses. There are a lot of horses I look back on. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Like, I really wish I could have tried this with you. And I really wish I could have done this for you, but I didn't know better. You know, I, I did as good as I could with what I knew. And I think just realizing that too. So as you know, better, you can do better, but don't, there's no point in looking back and feeling bad either. Cause you, you did, you did the best you could with what you had, um, but sure. going with the connection. So sorry, we, this might be a connection episode, <laughs> um, <laughs> but this is something we hear a lot about in the horse industry is how can I connect with my horse better? I want my horse to like me. How can, how can my horse like me better? How can they connect with me? How do I connect? How do I connect? How do I connect? And really just think about like, how do you connect with somebody like Camry? I connect with you because one, you share with me, but you also listen to me when I share, you know, it goes back and forth. And that's just the basis of a relationship. If you want a relationship with your horse, you've got to listen to them. You've got to be willing to listen. When another being realizes that you're not just there for something, when you're also there to give and to listen and to be a part of their process, things can really go a lot farther. That's when connection happens, but it takes time, especially if you've got a horse that you haven't listened to before. Like if you've got a horse that you've had for a few years that you have been expecting to do A, B, C, D, it's going to take a very long time of lots of practice for them to trust that you're going to listen. Just think about that, like with your kid or your friend or with yourself. If you have somebody who may be like a, an acquaintance who anytime you get together, they're, they're talking over the top of you. They, if you start to tell a story, they're just like, oh yes, but this happened to me, you know, like pretty soon you're just like, oh, okay, well, Susie over here, you know, <laughs> whatever, I guess like she can come over, but I'm not going to tell her anything, right? I'm not going to share. I'm not going to be a part of let or let her be a part of my life. Right. But when Susie one day comes in and goes, okay, tell me about your life. I want to hear all about your life there is that point of like, okay, you're going to tell them a little bit, right? Like enough to be polite. You're not going to jump in and say, oh yes, blah, here's everything. It's going to be the same with your horse. Your horse is not going to be like, oh yes, great. The one second that you show me, you might listen to me and it's, you know, going to change. It's, it's going to take a lot of repetition to build that back up. Yeah. And I actually had a trainer tell me once, and I liked the the way he referenced this. He said, you know, how how would you feel if every time you go and talk to this person, they, hey, can I borrow 20 bucks? Hey, can I have a cup of sugar? 
hey, can you come pick me up over here? Hey, can you do me this favor? Hey, I need this from you. I need this from you. And they never call just to, hey, how you doing? How's your day going? They never take that time to connect with you. You're going to stop answering their phone calls eventually. And even if you do answer their phone calls because you're just a super nice person that always wants to help them, <laughs> you're that's not going to be the person that you call when you need a friend. You know, they're, they're going to be more of, oh, that person that always needs something. And to be honest, most of us with our horses, myself included in my past, well, and, and with a lot of my client horses, because I am being paid for what I do with them, we tend to always need something from our horse when we're spending time with them. We need them to learn their flying lead changes. We need them to do this. We need them to go over here. We need them to complete this pattern. Uh, we need them to do this event. And so then we wonder why, why does my horse not like being with me or why do they not want to connect with me? Well, would you want to connect with someone that needed something every single time you talk to them? Every time you interact with them, they needed something from you. No, that's not going to be the person you want to connect with. And your horse isn't going to want to connect with you if you don't take the time to just spend time with them and do some of those sessions where you do just go loose rein and say, hey, wh what do you want to do right now? Where do you want to go? Where is your brain at? And that's actually some of my favorite sessions is when I do have the opportunity to let a horse go on a loose rein. I don't always, because sometimes I have like my assistant with on another horse in there. And uh, like right now I have a gelding that hates mares. Like, oh, he hates mares. <laughs> he will like eat the mares alive. And so I can't, um, these mares for some reason, they're like, oh, he hates me. Let me get as close as I can. <laughs> <laughs> Let so, me just poke the bear here. <laughs> so, you know, in that case, you know, on those days, I, I don't have the opportunity to do those loose rein lessons because we can't have horses biting and kicking and, and throwing fits with each other. But, but when I have the time where I have just one horse in the arena and I can do those loose rein lessons and see, okay, where is your brain? Where do you want to be? Where are you drawn to? What speed do you want to go? Um, and just see where my horse's brain is. Those are some of the most insightful sessions that I have with my horses because it's like, oh, okay, this is what you're thinking and this is where you want to be and this is what you want. Um, and so it's, it's just kind of fun to have sessions like that where it's, it's not always... Let's go accomplish this and do this. So, mm -hmm. well, and I've noticed that with my two horses because I've got my mare and then my Mustang. And my Mustang, very rarely do I ask anything of that horse. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's got to behave in, in his little ways and we, we work on boundaries and things. But for the most part, I mean, he's my liberty horse. Like anything I do with him, it's going to be very minimal. And when we do go out, most of the time he's at liberty. Like he just gets to run around and do what, do his thing while I ride my mare. And it is interesting. Like, guess who meets me at the gate? Guess who's really happy to see me with a halter? My Mustang. My mare's like, ugh really like okay like she'll kind of hide behind him you know and be like do you have to catch me but you know just like you thinking or saying that I'm like yeah you know what it's because every time I get my mare out she gets she has to go to work my Mustang doesn't like you know once in every week maybe does he have to actually do something for the most part I catch him and it's like a grooming session or we're doing something fun with treats or something and my mare I mean yes sometimes we do something fun with treats or it's just a grooming session but most often than not it's we're gonna ride we're gonna go do something um that she she does have to show up and and be there for it yeah it's just interesting so I like that like take some time to 
allow your horse to just be as well. And she does get a lot of time to be, but just not as much as he does. And you can tell with how they come at me when I have halters in my hand who, who enjoys sessions more, <laughs> you know, it's definitely my Mustang. Yeah. Well, and every horse is so different. So like some horses are very much rewarded by doing nothing. It's like, oh yeah, this is great. I could just stand here all day. You're more woe than go horses. But then you also have like my husband's horse, Lola. She loves accomplishing. I mean, she, if she can accomplish something new or do something um, that's challenging and, and complete it, it's like, she just is this powerhouse that just is like, tell me what else, what's next, what's next, you know? And she just wants to go, go, go. Um, and it's, it's fun to have that too. I feel like sometimes we think that like doing nothing is the only way that horses feel rewarded, but you can make work rewarding for them. And so like one way to do that is to quit while they're still enjoying it. So <laughs> I have caught myself doing this in the past, which is, you know, if you have a breakthrough with a horse or they're really just getting where they're working great and they're working nice off your legs or your hands and doing or doing whatever it is you're working on, then it's like you want to keep going. But then you push them to the point where they're like, oh, I don't enjoy this anymore. Like I was doing so good. And then you had to push me that step further, right? Like that wasn't enough. You needed more. And then you end the session when work wasn't fun anymore. Whereas if you yeah. end the session when work was fun and they were enjoying it and feeling happy about it and doing well at it, then it's going to reward them and give them that positive reinforcement, that good feeling when they were in work. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, you can make work rewarding too, just kind of as a little side note there, I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, and I mean, like we just talked about, it's like listening to your horse. What is What does your horse really enjoy? Comanche, my Mustang, really just enjoys being. <laughs> like he loves, he loves your attention. He loves scratches. He's one that will come and find you in the middle of the arena. Like if I let them out to just run around, you know, he runs around for five seconds, then he comes back to me and wants me to scratch him for a second. And then he goes and runs around for five seconds and comes back to me and wants to scratch him. Sandy doesn't necessarily love physical attention. She just loves my attention. You know, so if I'm scratching him, she's like, uh, hello, like, I want your attention. You know, she'll go run around. She'll run around a lot longer, but then she'll come back to me and go, okay, so now what? You know, and just kind of look at me. She doesn't really want me to scratch her, but she, you know, she wants to know what to do next. And that's something I've noticed too. Um, and we've talked about before how I've made, you know, the connection. Okay. Like, why do I keep pushing my horses to do these things? They don't like, like Sandy, I was really pushing towards maybe showing or doing something like that. She doesn't like it. She doesn't like arena work. She doesn't, you know, yes, there are, there are aspects of it. She does need to do and will continue to do, but she loves the trail. And I know that because her, she wakes up, you know, her ears are perked. She loves to go explore things. And when we turn around to go to the trailer, she's like, Oh, she kind of goes slower. She's like, really? We're done? You know? And that's a good sign to me that, oh, this girl likes trails, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, and that reminds me of my husband's old rope horse. He, he was actually my horse that I um, allowed my husband to rope on. <laughs> Cody, he was a black and white paint. And my husband used him for roping just because we couldn't afford another horse. And he was stocky enough. He was the right build and everything. And and uh, he was a pretty smart horse and we taught him to rope and my husband did win a little bit of money on him and he did well, but his heart just wasn't in it, which my husband doesn't like the push style. He wants 
the ones that are like Lola. Um, and that's who he has now is Lola and night and day difference. Like her heart is in that 200%. And he just, you can tell he enjoys roping so much more on her. You know, if you were to think about you doing something that is enjoyable for you versus something that you're like, well, I'll do it. But, <laughs> and that's the difference is just finding something that your horse is like, yeah, <laughs> this is fun. <laughs> exactly. And it makes it so much more fun to ride too. But also going into that, like, there's no shame in saying, hey, like, if you have something that this is your passion, you love, like, like Larry, he loves roping. That's his thing. If he's going to ride, he's going to rope, right? There's no shame in saying, hey, you know, the horse doesn't love it. Let's maybe sell him and to somebody who's going to do something he likes more and find someone who's a better fit. Because sometimes it is hard to sell your horses because you're like, oh, but I want them to just love it. Why can't they just love it? But they don't. And if you have your passion and the thing that you love and, and you don't connect with the thing your horse loves, it's okay to just say, you know what, let's sell them to, to someone who's this. Like I got one of a really fantastic Arabian one time because of that, like he was fantastic at jumping and dressage and really just an awesome horse, but his heart wasn't in it. He loved endurance style riding. And that's how I got him is because that's what I was going to do with him. And, and he really enjoyed, enjoyed that kind of work. Um, and it was heartbreaking for his owner to sell him to me because he was such a good horse. He did have that connection, but sometimes you do just need to let him go do what they love with someone else. Absolutely. And I think that's so hard to take your own emotions out of the equation and say, I am so attached to this horse that, you know, but it's, it, it's hard to put that on the back burner and put your horse's needs first and realize that they aren't fulfilled with you and what you're, you want to do with them and that they would be happier somewhere else. That's hard to swallow. You know, you're like, but I want, but it's my horse, you know, and taking mm -hmm. that, um, that sentimental, emotional part out of it and just doing what you know is best for your horse yeah. is extremely difficult. So, yeah. I mean, best like horses, but also I'm thinking about like other animals, like my dogs too. Mm -hmm. And right now there's a lot of shame going around with, Oh, how dare you get this dog? And then just say, it's not working out. It's like, well, Sometimes it just doesn't, you know, and as much as you love that dog, sometimes they need something else. Um, I had a healer that, oh my gosh, I still like want to cry over sometimes, you know, cause we got him and I just loved him. We connected so well, but he was not fitting. He needed somewhere where he was going to have a solid job that was going to connect his brain all the time. And I was not able to provide him that I needed a dog that was willing to just be with me and not go and look for trouble or go, go herd things or herd people. And he, he just needed to be somewhere else. And gosh, like getting rid of that dog was one of the hardest things I've ever done. But in the end, it's, it was going to be better for him in the long run to have somebody else who could actually give him a job to do more than what I was able to provide. Yeah, absolutely. So we've talked about connection and we, we got into that with the familiarizing. So we talked about the difference between desensitizing and familiarizing and listening to your horse and being willing to use them and having it more be like, instead of being about their feet, being about their mind too. Yeah. So trying to help our horses get back into the proper neurological state, right? This parasympathetic nervous system of of being in a responsive state and a rest and digest state versus the fight or flight state 
the way to do that for horses, there's a few ways, but you'll recognize that state when a horse is licking and chewing, uh, when they start blinking again, when their ears are swiveling, um, rotating back and forth, their nostrils will relax, they won't be flared, their head will lower, um, and you can have a combination of those, like it's not like always one or always two of them. Um, you get a mixture of those, but those are good signs that they are coming back into that parasympathetic nervous system. Um, so to kind of compare this to the human side of it, I had talked about how when I did that basic exercise, right, of having my hands behind my head and looking one direction, that it took me the first time I did it a couple minutes before I would, you know, like yawn or take that big sigh and get back into that parasympathetic state. It takes time and practice to allow your horse's mental state to go from like, whoa, that was scary back to like, oh, okay, I'm safe. I'm fine. Especially in the beginning um, with a horse that's nervous system is like really on edge. It takes them a few minutes sometimes. And like, oh, I can think of a couple of horses that it took them at least 10 minutes of just standing there doing nothing before they would release and go back into that parasympathetic because they had gotten in this state and these habits. I want to say it was a, she, she was six years old, I believe. Um, she was an Arabian, which they are. Arabians are a slightly higher stress breed. Um, they are not all Looney Tunes though. I will just say that, but she, she was six. So she had some of these habits from previous times in her life where she was always waiting for that other shoe to drop. So even when I would stop and wait, she was stopped and she would stare at me she was just having yeah (laughs) she was just having this anticipation where she was like okay what are you gonna ask me to do next what's gonna happen next and so she was just waiting and watching like I need to be ready and so she wouldn't release and wouldn't release and wouldn't release and so we just waited and waited and waited until like okay I guess she's not gonna ask me to do anything else (laughs) and so depending on the horse and their history and, and different things in the state of their nervous system, sometimes it can take a little while to, of this pause, this just waiting for their nervous system to go back to baseline and just relax. Um, and so, yeah, you do need to do a lot of waiting. So anytime your horse gets really worked up, get them to either stand still. You have to be careful with that one though, because you can get that freeze state. So the other option is walking Um, because then if they're walking, you know, they're not in freeze state. So I like to do that one, particularly like on lead line. Um, So if, if a horse got really stressed about something, um, I'm actually not going to have them fully stand still. I'm just going to take them for a little walk. And that way I know they're not in freeze state, um, but that they're also not in panic mode and, and will walk until they get a release. Um, So Yeah, a lot of just waiting for that release so that then you can start over again. And, you know, if you did go way too far over threshold to get to where they panicked for 10 minutes and couldn't come back down, um, then, you know, okay, I took it too far. We need to go to a a much smaller level of discomfort and and be able to bring them back. So that's kind of what I like to play with is, is bring them to where they're a little bit uncomfortable and then take them back to baseline and be like, oh. 
you know, no big deal. And then just play with that, you know, take them a little bit into discomfort and then come back. Um, and that's, that's how I like to teach them how to handle things is when you get nervous, this is what you do. <sighs> mm-hmm. Take a breath. <laughs> yeah. Well, and to go from like, not the training perspective to like the horse owner perspective as well. Um, you can do the same thing if your horse is starting to get irritated with something, right? Sandy, my mare, has started getting a little bit more cinchy where she's irritated when I bring the saddle out. She's irritated about me touching under her girth area. She just like, she just gets irritated to the point, like she sits there with her mouth clenched and her nostrils clenched and just, you know, pouting when I'm doing it. <laughs> um, So I've done something very similar with her because not everyone is going to have colts that they're training, right? Like most of us are probably just going to have a horse that we're trying to troubleshoot or we're just noticing some of these behaviors. Um, But she got to the point too, where she would swing her butt around and almost trap me. Like if I had her tied to the trailer, she'd almost trap me between the trailer and her, which was not okay. That's a huge boundary that she cannot cross, right? She cannot squish me. She cannot push me. Um, And so there was a couple of times we'd end up getting into some fights because she would put me in a dangerous situation and I would have to make sure she took me out of that dangerous situation. So lately what I've been doing to try to help her through that is once not saddling her by the trailer, like making sure I'm saddling her somewhere where it's easier for me to get out and I'm not stressed about it. Um, but then what I've been doing as well is just just like you've been talking about is I'll bring the saddle out. I'm going to take the time to let her sniff it, to let her like say, I hate this thing. Like, well, you're going to put this thing on me. And I know she does because she tries to block me with her head, right? When I go to put it on, she brings her head around as far as she can bring it, like almost all the way to her belly. And is like, really, you're going to put that on me. So I'll take a minute and wait. And when her head goes back straight, it's like, okay, thanks, you know, and I'll put it on. And what I've noticed is just by allowing her to say, "Ah, I just, I'm not sure about this. And then just wait, instead of pushing past those signals of her being like, no, I'm not sure. But just allowing her to wait to be like, okay, fine. She doesn't swing anymore. She stands still. Like she does not swing anymore. And then I went to the process too of with the cinch, like, okay, the cinch came out and now she's upset again. She's swinging her head back to look at the cinch. So when she swings her head back, I'll pet her nose. You know, she hates her face being touched anyways. So she's like, ah, don't do that. You know, put her head back, back straight. But what I, you know, instead of cinching her up, I'm just going to hold it with my hand. Very light pressure just to know, hey, I'm listening to you. And when she relaxes, I just let the cinch down. Like she, you know, it's like, that's exactly what I'm looking for. That relaxed state is, is the state I'm looking for. And then we've gotten to the point, like yesterday, I was able to saddle her, cinch her up and actually cinch her up without having to do all of those mini steps. And she stood. I mean, yes, she kind of pouted a little bit, um, like that tight lip, tight, tight nostril thing, but I just let her be too. I just saddled her because I was trying on a new saddle and cinch anyway. So I just saddled her and then I went and messed with my other horse until she was fully relaxed. And by the end of it, she was licking and chewing and just like, oh, all right, like this is fine. And then I went and played with the cinch a little bit and nothing. She was totally fine with it, completely relaxed, head down. But it does take time to undo what I had already done, right? Because we'd gotten into a pattern of fighting over the saddle and fighting over the cinch. Um, so just taking that step back and doing kind of what Camry said, allowing them to have that voice, allowing them to show those signals of, hey, this like my brain is in, I'm, I'm relaxing about this now. 
and giving them that time, you're going to have a much better horse versus when you go in and fight all the time with them. Yeah, that's one of my favorite things lately, too, is release on relaxation instead of releasing when their feet are still, um, because that's again, like we talked about, that's one of the big things release when their feet stand still when they're frozen. And it's we don't want to encourage the freeze. We want to encourage the correct neurological state, that relaxation. Right. So if you release when they relax, they're going to start understanding, oh, you want me to relax. Um, and when they know that not only you want them to, but that relaxation feels good. <laughs> you know, horses don't want to be in high stress all the time. They don't want to be running from mountain lions all day long. They want to be relaxed and out there wandering and walking and grazing and playing with their friends and um, doing all those things and, and mutual grooming and they don't want to be in high stress all the time. So they are going to seek relaxation. And that's one of my favorite things to see is when a horse seeks relaxation. So that actually goes into one of my other things, which is um, marker training, which I learned from Dana Lovell up in Idaho. And it's this really neat concept where you have a marker, like a, a board or a platform of some sort, not a huge platform. Um, I think, you know, you could go a couple inches high, just something that marks a place. Um, I just use a plywood board and you use that as a relaxation target. So you get them to put their front feet on it. And when their front feet are on it, that's where they get to find relaxation. That's where they get to take a breath and just breathe and just be. So this marker training is essentially you're going to escalate your horse um, and get them where they're feeling a little bit of that adrenaline and that excitement. And then you're going to ask them to come in and put their feet on the board. So when I start doing it, I start it with a lead rope so that I can show them, hey, when I, when I say the word here, I want you to come and place your feet on this board. And as soon as they place their feet on the board, we stand there and we sit there for, you know, any, anywhere from a minute to several minutes, um, depending on the horse until they just relax, start licking and chewing and just feeling good. And I'll repeat that. And then I'll move to where I can do it without the lead rope, um, without the lunge line. And, and then as soon as I say here, and I point my hands to either side of the target, they come in and they relax and they're like, oh, this is great. And it's really a fun process to see a horse work through because <laughs> at a certain point in the training process with it, when I go to start escalating the horse, they're like, eh, and they come in and find the board. <laughs> they're like, I just want to come in here and relax. Like, We're screw this me. escalation stuff. I just want to come here and de-escalate. <laughs> so I guess, okay, question with that. When you are working on something, do you ever have the problem where they're just like, I'm just going to stand on the board now, Camry. I'm not going to move because I'm going to stand on the board. So do you, have you ever had that? And how do you work around that? Um, I don't mind if they're just standing on it to be honest, as long as their mental state is in the right place. I don't want them in freeze mode when they're on the board. So, uh, but if a horse, like if I'm smacking a whip or if I am shooting a gun and they're just standing quietly on this board and hmm, then I'm like, sweet, great, awesome. But if I'm like intentionally asking them to move and they don't want to get off the board, I have had that a few times of like those more woe than go horses that are like, no, no, I don't want to. <laughs> then it's kind of like, 
oh, we have to kind of move away from that exercise and encourage relaxation while moving. Um, because some horses, if they only ever find relaxation while standing still, they become those really, really lazy, lazy, lazy horses. Um, because movement always feels bad, right? It's always the the bad thing, the, the punishment or the, well, not necessarily punishment, but um, the thing to motivate them to stand still. So if we're constantly motivating the horse to stand still, we're creating laziness, right? Yeah, we're <laughs> so, creating a horse that wants to just stand all day. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you have to balance this out just like with anything else. You can't always do the desensitizing or the familiarizing with stand still then you have to be able to say, okay, now my energy is telling you, I want you to move. Like, let's, let's go, let's move, let's play. Um, and then like, go, um, go take your horse over jumps. That's one thing that, um, a lot of horses really like with movement is, um, just doing in-hand work, especially with colts and stuff is I will trot with them and, and get them to trot with me in hand. And then we'll go and we'll trot over a jump. And most of them just get a kick out of it and they love it. Um, so things like that, that make movement rewarding and not just make movement the like, oh, when are we going to be done moving? Movement sucks. <laughs> so yeah, gotta kind of balance that out. You don't always want them to just stand still and do nothing. So yeah. One of the things that I did actually yesterday, yes, that was yesterday with a horse, which is refocusing. So that's another huge thing that goes hand in hand with connection, getting a horse to refocus and, and focus back on you. Um, but it really, really helps your horses that get fixated, right? And that's kind of what can happen with your spooky horses. They see something over here in their ears. Whew, perk forward and they their head goes up a few inches and they stare at it and even if they're not going to spook at it it's going to make it where you don't have your steering like they're not really going to be listening to you because they're so ultra focused and fixated on this one thing um so just a, an example here i had a client come for a lesson and she has this little almost yearling uh, little weanling filly that she was has been bringing to learn how to do all the groundwork with and they've never had a baby before so so they uh wanted me to help them do all this uh work with her and we were working on teaching her how to do just a little bit of lunging at a walk right just how to take a direction how to change directions um and then all of a sudden my cows started coming up the alleyway um because it's been so swampy at my house we opened up the the return chute so they can kind of get out of the muck and the mud a little bit so they they started coming up this alleyway and this filly she just like you know <laughs> she looks at these cows and it's like oh my gosh and uh you know a lot of people that I've seen and like what I have done in the past is oh you don't like that let's go put your nose on it right yes. that's a pretty yep. that's a pretty common response it's like yep. no like you can't be scared of that go and look at it and go touch it um that is not what we did that is not what I believe in doing anymore. Um, and so what I had her do is I said, she's so ultra fixated. So number one, let's get her at a distance where she feels it's manageable, right? Where she's not going to feel like she has to trot around you in circles because she was kind of starting to do that. She was just like trotting and then hitting the end of the lead rope and not even paying attention or connecting to the human on the other end of the lead rope. So I said, okay, let's just walk not straight away from the cows, but kind of like a, a zigzag back and forth to gain some distance from the cows. And so we did that. And, 
And then we just walked back and forth. And then every time the horse would go and fixate on the cows, she would change directions and zig and zag <laughs> the other direction. And, and then the horse would be like, oh, oh, hello, Rio. Like, there you are. Um, tune back in with her for a second. But then it was like very short-lived at first, right? It was a, a momentary like, oh, hey, there's my handler. And then boom, immediately back to the cows. And so we just repeated that. Anytime she would back to the cows, we'd walk a couple more steps, change direction, check back in with the human, change direction, check back in with the cows, check back in with the human, refocus, refocus, refocus. But in a way where we weren't like, don't look at the cows, don't look at the cows. We were just saying, hey, I see you see the cows. They are definitely very interesting. You have not seen those cows like do that before and go running up and down this alleyway. Um, so of course she's going to be intrigued and curious. She's never seen that. So we didn't punish her for that. All we did was say, Hey, I see the cows. I get it. Okay. Check back in with me. Oh, you see those cows again? Yeah, they're pretty interesting. Oh, Hey, can you just remember I'm here, you know, keep me safe and, and just continue that process. And by the end of the session, she was hundred percent focused on her handler. She wasn't concerned about the cows whatsoever she was head down licking chewing no big deal the cows were wandering back and forth and she was just like oh okay the cows are there and then instead of it being this battle of like no you will go put your nose over there you will go closer to those cows she actually ended up by the end going by choice because she was starting to get curious about them at that point you know because we weren't pushing it and she was starting to get curious. I'm like, okay, let's, let's walk her up to the cows and like, see what she thinks. And I said, if she gets too concerned, we'll just zag, zigzag off the other direction and, and no big deal. She ended up going and one of the cows licked her on the nose and, and she was great about it and fine. So that is how I like to build confidence, build it in a way where the horse is still connected and focused on you and do it in a way where it's not a fight. You know, it's not you're scared of this now you have to wear it you know kind of attitude about it so um, there's kind of that yeah. whole package deal of the quote-unquote desensitizing with the focus work with the connection work um, and tying that all together to help your horse be emotionally balanced because what you can create with forcing a horse to go and put their nose on something or forcing them to wear it is again that shutdown or that distrust of their human that disconnection of just like so much so fast and too much that they don't trust you they're not confident in what they are able to handle they're just in survival mode and yeah. they're really not emotionally or neurologically processing anything so yeah yeah I love that because like you said I mean they'll lose disconnect with you if you're going to push them into that because you are blatantly saying I don't care how you feel yep you're dumb you got to go do this like and we do that all the time to each other. But another um, <laughs> something that I do that's very similar to that on the trail when my horses are having this issue on the trail where something comes up like I was on one trail one time and there was a couch in the middle of the mountains in this on this trail and they're like, oh, my word, what is this? Um, but I do that that same thing, very similar. We'll we'll just kind of zigzag around it. But I always turn them towards the thing. And I, I, I've always done that just because um, with the horses that I've had, if we turn their butts to them, then they're like, we got to take off. It's behind us now. So I always go back and forth and I turn them so they can see the thing. They can see, Hey, this thing isn't chasing us, but we're going to go back and forth. And then pretty soon, I mean, cause we're zigzagging and we're turning towards it. A lot of times we'll end up getting pretty close to it. And then I'm like, oh, all right, like no big deal. Um, but it helps that relaxation as well versus like, nope, go on, like pushing them into it. Like, come on, you got to go touch it now. It's like, no, like, 
they wouldn't ask us to touch a tiger. Why are we asking them to touch a tiger, you know? Yeah. Um, but that that's another way. I don't know if you've ever done that on the trail, but that's how I've done a similar exercise like that on the trail um, for anyone who might have that happen. I think too, just because if someone wants to try this, let's talk about a little bit of safety there. You want to make yeah. sure that the horse isn't right behind you. <laughs> yes. So rule of thumb, always put yourself between your horse and what they're scared of. Never put yourself on the offside of your horse when they are scared, because I guarantee you instinct and self-preservation will kick in long before your boundaries do. That's just part of instinct. You know, when they are terrified that, like you said, there's a tiger over there, which, you know, it might be a tarp or a plastic bag, but to them it's a tiger, right? Um, that instinct will override anything else. Self-preservation always will override anything else. So never put yourself on the offside of something scary. So when you are zigzagging, if you do choose this technique to work with your horse, don't zigzag to where when you turn, they, if they get scared and bolt to get further away from that thing, they will run you over in the process. It's like, put yourself between them and the tiger, be the protector yeah. in the yep. situation. Like yep. as if you had a little kid, you know, and you're protecting the little kid, treat the horse like that little kid, you're going to put them, you're going to put yourself between them and danger. Cause that's going to build trust for one. They're going to watch you and go, okay. Like they're willing to be in between me and the danger, but mm -hmm. also it goes, okay, great. So when that thing comes at you, I'm going to have time to get away. <laughs> right? <laughs> too. So, so well, yes. and having a horse push something is so confidence building for them. So, um, we even had these cows move away from this filly that I was talking about a few minutes ago is, you know, you walk towards the cows and the cows run away <laughs> and having them push that. But even if they're quote unquote, pushing a flag, like you had talked about that technique that I showed you of lead the horse, your nose goes first and have the scary thing out in front of both of you so that you're pushing it, they're pushing it. And the thing is moving away from them because the scariest part of it is if it starts coming towards them, right? <laughs> they're like, oh, I already didn't like this thing. And now it's coming towards me. Like, nope. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, you don't want to create them fleeing from something. So if they're really scared of it, have them push it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that too. I, we've done that with balls and all sorts of different things mm -hmm. and barrels and yep. you can have them push anything. Yep. And then I guess one final thing before we kind of finish up here is getting the fidgets out. Um, so if you ever think of like little, like say someone drops a glass plate on a kitchen floor and it kind of makes you, go, you know, and it, it makes you jump a little bit. If our horses don't get out the little twitches, the little fidgets, the little like, oh, I wasn't sure about that. But then, oh, okay, you know, it was no big deal. If they don't get those twitches out, those twitches build. And they build until they turn into a big bomb. And I really liked, it was actually a Jonathan Field video that I was watching when he was talking about that. Um, and I liked the way he referred to it as a bomb. <laughs> it's like, it's like this time bomb. And, and the more they have these little things that build up to it, it just explodes. Um, but yeah, so one thing I will do to help get some of those twitches out, because Freya will bottle it up sometimes, especially if we go to a new arena. She'll get high anxiety but then she doesn't like get it out and then it will turn into a, a buck or a, a something silly if I let it build too much so when I lunge her I will actually just kind of like all of a sudden randomly jump like do a little thing that'll startle her 
but that I know won't scare her. Something that I do at home and, and I do practice this at home before I go places. But that way, when she sees me jump, it gets her to go ah! and release that little fidget and that twitch in a way that doesn't scare her. All it does is startle her and it helps get those little twitches and fidgets out. So don't, don't be angry at your horse if they fidget or twitch or have those little like ah! moments. That's actually very, very good because if I would much rather deal with a horse that fidgets when they're a little bit nervous than a horse that's going to bottle it up until it goes boom. <laughs> so <laughs> let you, let your horse get their fidgets out. That's a good thing. Yeah. It means they're dealing with it when it's this big, when it's just a very small thing instead of dealing with it when it builds up into this massive thing. So Yeah, I love that little trait. I remember one time watching you work with Freya when you brought her Oh, you brought her to the arena for something like we were doing a, a little parade of something. I remember wa- like watching you watch her because she she really did just lose her mind. And it was funny because I'm like, I know this horse and she is like so level headed. And it was interesting to watch her rear and just kind of have a hard time in this. But watch you like work with her. And then pretty soon you had your kids on her and she had this big costume on her and she was fine. Yep. You know? So yep. it's just because sometimes I don't for anyone who's like me, I get high anxiety very, very easily. So when I'm trailing my horses somewhere, my anxiety goes up, but their anxieties go up. And then in the situation, like sometimes I get stressed out because I'm embarrassed too, that they're acting this way. And it's like, yeah, I know you know better. Um, but I love that idea of just, Hey, realizing, you know, I'm, they're just as nervous as I am, but they're expressing it differently. Like I bottle my anxiety up they are getting it out, you know, with yep. their feet and their different things. And so it's just learning how to channel it and go, Hey, yes, get it out, get it out, do what you need to do, but let's do it in a safe, controlled manner. Um, so I really like that a lot. And I think there's a lot that you can do with that. Like the zigzagging techniques I think you can do as well. Um, mm-hmm. I'm thinking about one time we went on a trail ride with like 30 other people. It is the biggest group I've ever ridden with, with both my horses and they both just lost their minds and it was hilarious. But with (laughs) my mare, you know, like we're getting on and it was one of those situations we really didn't have. It was kind of like a get there, hop on, go kind of a deal. And so they're just both dancing around and rearing and having, you know, like just getting all the things out. But with my mare, you know, the more I held her back, the more she was like, just pissy. So what I would do is just go to the side of the whole group. Cause you know, most of the other horses were okay. Cause they, they'd been used to being in bigger groups, but my two had not, um, but just go to the side and just kind of do that zigzag, let them trot it out, let them zigzag and just make sure everyone else is in a safe place. But by allowing her to do that and get it out, but still keep like, still make sure that I'm in control, that she's respecting me, respecting what I'm saying. Then she was like, fine. You know, it took a little bit longer for my Mustang mainly because my husband was riding him and, <laughs> and couldn't help him out there. But, um, but something like that's very helpful too, is, is just, you know, like, yes, you get to move. It's kind of like what you talked about before, letting them walk it out, letting them move. Don't let them get stuck into that. Cause sometimes we hold them so tight that we're like, you know, you have to stay right here in this area and it does just become an issue. So by the time you do let them go, that's when you get the bolting. That's when you get the bucking is because they've been holding it. You've been holding them back so long. So you might as well just, Hey, just take them in a little figure eight, let them walk around, let them move, let them see things in this figure eight. And and they'll, they'll relax pretty, pretty quickly. Yeah. Well, like with Freya at that, it was a Halloween costume party. Yes. That's and she wore this big, um, I made it out of 
giant pieces of cardboard that looked like a pirate ship and my kids were pirates that were sitting up on her back and and I've worked with Freya extensively at home but I have not hauled her a ton and she gets a bit of separation anxiety when she goes away from home in particular we've worked on it at home and she does very well with the separation anxiety at home but on the trails and in a new arena it just kind of builds up right um and so one of the things that I actually did wrong with her in the beginning was when I first got her, I was trying to futurity her and I was trying to do all this stuff. And I also tried to sell her earlier on at about 60 to 90 days. And I took her to her first show and pushed her to perform at this show. And in hindsight, like what I would do now and what I'm going to do with her baby is I would do that refocus work. So I would use, it's actually something I learned from Warwick Schiller's videos where you can use a flag to draw their attention and refocus them when they get nervous like that. Um, so Freya, by my fault, learned to be high anxiety because it was my first show. It was her first show when we both went and I was pushing her to perform because I was trying to futurity her and or sell her. And um, so there was high expectation and high anxiety. And I took her to several shows that summer. And, um, it was all kind of the same of like high expectation. And so she just got in these habits of we go places and so many things are expected of me and I don't know how to handle it. And so I've actually had to backtrack with her a little bit of, you know, like, like that day where with that Halloween costume parade, I just worked with her on the ground and she was worried because all the horses left the arena and she was the only horse left in the arena. And she was like, Oh my gosh, I'm alone. And so her separation anxiety kicked in. So I just kind of helped her refocus and, and got some of her fidgets out and, and let her know like, Hey, it's okay. And then some horses started coming back in, which helped. Um, but yeah, it was something I created by just being like, no, don't show me how you feel when you're anxious at this, this new place, like get to work. And, and I do regret that with her because it did create habits. Um, and so hopefully I can remedy that in the future and get her where she feels a lot more at ease in new locations. And, um, yeah, she gets there. Sometimes it does take her a minute though. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can think of a time too, just at the horsewoman retreat when I was helping, uh, with the trail rides and Sandy was having a really bad day <laughs> that last day there. <laughs> and sometimes it does suck because there are there are instances where it's like, I legitimately do not have time to help you through this right now. You need to buck up and we need to go. Um, and sometimes those are hard, but then it's like, just realize you're going to have days like that where it's just like, I'm sorry, you do need to buck up and we've got a job to do. So get to work lady and then on the back end like afterwards I did a lot more stuff with her afterwards and been like okay let's get you back to baseline now I realized that I couldn't couldn't spend that time with you at the beginning that I really wish I could have um because sometimes sometimes you do have a job to do you know there's going to be a lot of you who probably do have to go out and brand calves or you're in the feedlot or you know there's a specific job that you and your horse have to perform and your horse does need to learn that they have to do the job as well um it would be really awesome if we could all just be able to listen and and take that time but it's just finding what can you do with what you've got to help them calm down so it's like okay yes she was really upset about these trail rides and things but i knew she would be safe on the trail i was not concerned about like any kind of safety issue with anybody i knew like once we got on the trail i could do some things to the side again and like do the zigzagging let her get some trots out you know do some do some circling just 
just to kind of like breathe for a second and then she would walk out calmly you know but it just i had to get to work you know i had to had to go help with that and didn't um feel like i could do the groundwork before then but i knew i could do the writing work during right so there are times you're gonna have to do that and that's just what you got to do as long as you're safe and the people around you will be safe sometimes that's what you got to do yeah for sure and being pushed can be a good thing too it can <laughs> another, another episode we will we will talk about in the future before we end up doing a two-hour podcast here <laughs> yep so we will go ahead and sign off well we hope Post- you all found something good yeah good action things feel free to email us if you've got questions and go spend time doing nothing with your horse <laughs> go relax <laughs> see you next week Thank you for listening to The Horsewoman Project. If you have a story to tell, please email us at thehorsewomanproject at gmail.com. Links to both of our websites, social pages, and emails will be added to the show notes, as well as any links that are mentioned or contact information for our guests. Talk to you next week.